Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How you doing, friends? Welcome to another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And this time around, we have an interview with Antonio Sanchez. A lot of you listened to the first interview of 2019 with the great Pat Metheny. Pat Metheny, one of the greatest guitarists alive, one of my favorite musicians. Antonio Sanchez is very associated with Pat Metheny. I recorded this interview with him back in 2017. He was drumming with Pat Metheny. It was a Pat Metheny Quartet concert at Atlanta Symphony Hall. I went backstage with a little microphone and recorded this interview. Antonio Sanchez is a drummer, composer, and band leader. We talked about a number of things. His early years growing up in Mexico City. His grandfather, who is a very legendary actor. His moving to Boston, performing with the great Pat Metheny. The Birdman score, which that was Antonio Sanchez. Birdman, of course, starring Michael Keaton. I think that's one of the best movies I've seen in recent times, and that music played such a big part in that. We talk about composing and his comments on the current atmosphere in the United States of America. I hope you all enjoy. Let me know what you think. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the man I'm sitting down with is Antonio Sanchez, composer, drummer, band leader, side man, performing and recording artists. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I want you to tell us a little bit about growing up in Mexico City. What kind of influence did that have on your life? Well, obviously, a lot of influence because all my formative years were in Mexico since I was born until I was 21. Musically speaking, it was great. I grew up listening to a lot of rock and roll that my mother used to listen to. And then with a lot of Latin influence, of course, from all the stuff that leaks from um, Latin America, from, from uh, the Caribbean, and of course, all the, all the American influence as well. So I grew up listening to a bunch of different kinds of music. Did you listen to any, like, folk music, the, the native? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, something that is kind of unavoidable. Didn't pay much attention to it back then, but it was always around. I felt like my heart was always, you know, in rock and roll. So that's what I wanted to play for a long time. I wanted to have a rock band. I wanted to be a rock star. And then it just started morphing into this other thing when I started becoming better at my instrument and then wanting to learn more about music and, and drums that kind of started leading me towards jazz because that's where you start being able to really express yourself when, when you perform as an improviser. And you studied piano. You learned how to play the piano. Would you say that that helped you a lot when it came time to compose? Yeah, of course. I mean, not only helped me a lot in order for me to compose, but to interpret music as well, because you hear harmony a different way, you hear melody a different way, you understand forms uh, way better, and it just gives you a different kind of sensi sensibility to play another instrument. And piano is the best one because you have the chords, you have melody, and it's very graphic too. You know, the, the notes are right there in front of you. So the, I always tell any any musician, 
that they should learn piano, even if they are guitar players or they're, they're um, saxophone players, uh, singers. Piano is the best way to compose, I feel. The experiences that you had at Berkeley going to Boston, what are your most vivid memories from that time? Well, just to be there and to be in a place where people come from all over the, the world, basically, is one of the schools with the highest amount of international students. They come from all over the place to do just music. So I left my country, left my family, and came to this place that I've never been to just to do music 24-7. And it was the same case with a lot of other students. So to be in a place where people were there just to make music without any distraction from family or friends or girlfriends, it, it was just great. You know, I feel like um, I started blossoming as a musician in an incredible, incredible way because the amount of hours I spent just doing music was something that I had never experienced before. Who has taught you the most about music? I mean, I've had really good teachers from the get-go, starting with my first drum teacher, Fito Nava, who now lives in Norway. Then I went to uh, Berkeley, and I had great drum teachers, great arrangement teachers, and just kind of role models that I started trying to emulate and imitate. So it was, I couldn't say one person has been important more than, than others. I think it's been a combination of a lot of people that have helped me uh, through the way and also my family, of course. They, they've been incredibly supportive the whole time. You'll have to forgive me if I pronounce his name wrong. Tell us about Ignacio Lopez Tarso. Yeah, very good. Being the actor, the legend that he is, mm -hmm. what did he think about Birdman? He loved it. Yeah, he loved I bet. it. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, I will always, when I try to describe him to somebody else, I always say that he's like the Lawrence Olivier of Mexico. You know, he's uh, 92. He just turned 92, and he's still doing six shows at least a week, doing some kind of play. He's traveling all over the world, and it's just very inspiring to, to see. And he's my grandfather. So he was always a huge inspiration just to see, okay, I can be an artist and make a good living and support a whole family and be respected. You know, that I always saw art as something that was completely viable. If I would have been born to a family of lawyers and I would have never seen somebody making a living out of uh, the arts, maybe it would have been hard, but that was not my, my case, uh, luckily. How important is confidence when you're a musician? I think real artists and musicians, it's a dichotomy between being very confident and then being one of the most insecure people on the planet. Because every time you play, every time you compose, you're kind of getting naked in front of a, a bunch of people on a nightly basis. And that's a, always a daunting endeavor, whereas you're writing or you're performing it's always like, okay, here, here, here I am. This is what I do. I hope you guys like it, but um, it doesn't always happen. We're talking today with Antonio Sanchez. I'm a big fan of big band music. I was hoping you could tell us about this project of yours. Yeah, this is very exciting. One of my 
heroes when it comes to writing and, and uh, arranging is Mr. Vince Mendoza. I followed his work for a long time. And I always wanted to do something with the big band, but I, I just, to write for a big band, I don't think I'm, I'm built for that. So I wanted to see who could arrange some of my music and play with a big band. And then it just so happened that Vince was interested in doing it. And through Camp Jazz, my record label, we got the WDR from Hamburg and Vince arranged like eight or nine of my compositions. And then we recorded a full CD in Hamburg uh, this past December. So I'm waiting to see what's going to happen with that, but I, I'm hoping it will be released sometime in, in the fall at the most, at the latest. I'm not sure if I'm expressing myself clearly or not here, but with, in the Birdman movie with the score, it's almost like you don't notice it, but you do, the music. What was it you were trying to accomplish when you set out to make this piece of music? Well, honestly, Alejandro González Iñárritu, the director, he was the mastermind behind the whole thing, including the, the score, because he knew exactly where he wanted the drums. I was kind of the, the vessel that, you know, where, where he put all his ideas into, and then it, it came out through me. But he just let me be myself. That was the, the greatest thing about it. He just had me improvise solo and really express myself through the drums. And then he just grabbed those tracks and then put them on the movie. And the interesting thing is that when we did the initial demos, which a lot of them ended up on the movie, we didn't have a movie to, to look at. So we worked off the script and he would explain the scenes to me in great detail. And then I would just improvise. So it was a really interesting thing of working with somebody. And also, it was an honor to work with somebody that was so creative and that is not a musician. Because I've worked with incredible musicians for a long time. But to work with a film director that is that creative and that daring and that innovative was really an amazing, amazing experience. You've been performing and recording with Pat Metheny for a long time now. Would you say that there's a guiding philosophy that you guys have? Well, I mean, I think Pat has really kind of created uh, his own lexicon and his own language when it comes to, to jazz and music. So I think what has been cool about collaborating together all these years is that I've really learned his language and his lexicon. and So now I feel really free within that. So it has very clear parameters, but if you don't know those parameters, it can be a little confusing. When I started playing with him, it was, you know, because I came from a completely different thing. And then I started playing with him. I just didn't understand very well how to, to interact with him. I mean, I got to take that back because one of the, the very first interaction we had musically, I went to his studio and we played like for four hours and it was amazing. So that's why I, I'm here today because of that initial feeling of how well we interacted. But then when you start getting to, to the nuts and bolts of it, it was, it, it was challenging to learn all his music. And it, it's also a catalog that spans many, many decades to learn how to play it and play it the way he wanted. It was, it was, um, 
it was an interesting process. But now, you know, we feel so, so comfortable with each other that it is just a lot of fun to play each night. What is he like? He's, man, he's one of the coolest people on the planet. He's incredibly smart, very well read, very, uh, just, just he, somebody that knows what he wants. You know, I always admire people that know exactly what they're going for and they go for it. It's, uh, incredible to be part of, uh, of this ongoing adventure with him because I'm the only guy, I think, in history that, that has collaborated with him on an ongoing basis for all these years. He usually has a project. He goes out on tour with that project and then he moves on with a, with a different band. But every band he puts together, he, uh, luckily he, he wants me in the drum chair. So I'm incredibly honored to, to always try to, to be there. I mean, it's been a little more difficult lately because I'm doing a lot more stuff with my own projects. So the coordination of my thing with his thing has uh, proved to be a little challenging, but, but we're, we're working it out in a way that, that we're both uh, happy with what's uh, going on scheduling-wise. Something that I listened to you say in an interview and Pat Metheny, you both said the same thing pretty much, that jazz music, it's something that needs to be more accessible. How do you think that musicians can do that? I think jazz musicians in general, they tend to be a little snobby uh, when it comes to other kinds of music, and they tend to be a little snobby with the audience, I feel. Like, okay, I'm amazing. So I hope you guys get it. If you don't guys get, if you guys don't get it, too bad. You know, that kind of attitude. And, you know, they take really long solos and they don't know what they're going to say to the audience. They don't know when they're going to say it. And they have long pauses where nothing's happening, where they're trying to figure out what they're going to play. And they're always reading music on stage. You know, I, I hate that. I hate that. And, and I really appreciate that Pat always puts a show together. We go out and do a show. We don't do a gig. We do a show. So I've learned that and, and I took that page out of his book and, and I apply it to my own thing. You know, I really want to make sure that every time we go on stage, it's, it's an event. It's a show. It's not, it's not just a little gig. And, and that makes a huge difference. And I think that's why Pat gets the reactions he gets from, from the audience that I've never experienced with anybody else because the, the music is a lot more crossover with other kinds of popular music, but he knows how to pace a set and, and just play for the last guy uh, in the last row of the theater. And, uh, and that's something that I admire a lot and I try to always apply to my own thing. Being an entertainer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't need to do anything crazy. I mean, you're just presenting music, but you have to, to know how to present it. You pace it in a way, know how to talk to people. And there's nothing wrong with rehearsing what you're going to say and repeating it all the time, you know. I mean, rock and pop musicians do it all the time, and, and uh, it's, it's like clockwork, and that's why it works. So I think jazz musicians can, can learn a lot from that. And also, musically speaking, the melodic factor is something very important for people to be able to understand what you're doing. Pat is also the master of doing complicated things, but with a very clear melody that cuts through the middle of the song and, and people can hum it in, and they don't know that it's in seven four. 
you know, and and that is something that I I also try to do. You know, I, I think melodic material is incredibly important to be. That's what people relate to. You know, beautiful melodies. So that's what I always try to do. What is the best compliment someone could give you? Uh, that I'm a musical drummer. As a drummer, that's the best compliment uh, anybody has paid to me. Also, <laughs> well, another compliment that Charlie Hayden paid to me. Uh, we were playing at the Village Vanguard, and Charlie was famous for not letting the drummers play too loud. And if they did, he would put a, a piece of plexiglass around the drums. So that was the first time I was playing with him, and I was terrified when I got into the Vanguard and I saw the plexiglass on the floor. I was like, oh, my God, he's going to put me in the cage. And uh, we started playing, and I was playing with the drumsticks and everything. And he actually, towards the middle of the set, he asked me if I could turn up because I was playing too soft. So that was a really good, nice compliment. And as a composer, you know, I, I just like it that, that people get the, the, the melodies mainly and the rhythm. I, I feel like I'm like getting away with complexity and sophistication rhythmically, harmonically. But there's also a way to do it that people will relate to it. So that's where where I, I agree with Pat that it needs to be accessible for people. Ideally, when someone goes to a concert, whether you're the band leader or performing, what is it that you want people to take, take away? Well, I think what I like is uh, people to leave one of my gigs and be like, wow, I've never seen anything like this before. For example, for the last couple of years, I've been doing this piece with my band, which is called the Meridian Suite. And it's a piece that I wrote as a continuous composition, and it's meant to be played that way from beginning to end without stopping. And uh, it's called the Meridian Suite because I uh, try to do a little bit of what the Meridians do, which are imaginary lines that intertwine, meet in different ways, and the melodic material and rhythmic material of the composition does that. It intertwines uh, what you hear in the beginning, you hear it again in the middle, treat it in a different way. So it's always evolving, and it's basically about storytelling. So that, to me, is the most important thing, to tell a story where, uh, whereas I'm composing or I'm playing, I always like to tell a story. And that's what people relate to. You know, the lyrical side of music. Do you think it's important for a musician to expose himself or herself to a wide range of stuff? I think it's uh, incredibly important to do that. And if you don't, you're missing out on a lot of things that could be uh, helpful to you for your development. You know, I always say that people get their own voices and their instruments if they play a lot of different kinds of music and uh, they listen to a lot of different kinds of music and they let their influences come out. Just because I started playing jazz, I cannot deny that I played rock for years and years or that I played Latin music. So I want everything to come out as a hybrid when I'm playing. And that, I think eventually that's what becomes your, your own voice on your instrument. You've performed in so many places around the world, all different types of people. What has the experience of traveling taught you? Um, well, one of the coolest things is to be able to perform in front of different audiences all over the world and see their reaction and uh, learn what their energy is like. And it's fascinating because that really translates to the idiosyncrasy 
of a full country almost. You know, when you play in Japan, you get this reaction. When you play in Italy, you get this other reaction. You play in Mexico. And that really speaks volumes about how people are as, as a people. So that's always fascinating to me. And, and also, you know, just to get out of the hotel and walk around and just see people in other places. And, and then it makes you feel a lot more humble. You know, there's, there's a lot more to, to the world than what's inside our little bubble and our little circle. So I think people traveled more. We wouldn't have a lot of the problems that we're facing right now because we would be a little bit more aware of other people in other places and be a little bit more compassionate and have a little bit more empathy towards our fellow human beings. Well, on that note, as we close up here, you have people who are fans of you all over the world and people through this technology we have nowadays. You can communicate anywhere. So for anyone listening, wherever they are out there in this world, what would you say to them? Well, I would say that <laughs> what we need the most is really what the Beatles said. All we need is love. You know, if we put some love out there, it's hard not to get love back. But if you put hatred and um, xenophobia and bigotry and misogyny out there, you know, obviously the energy that is going to come back at you is, is going to be negative. And I think it's what's happening with uh, our, it's hard for me to say it, with our president <laughs> right now, with President Trump. I mean, just look at, at the mess he's created in such a short amount of time. And that's because his energy is just, chaotic and erratic and, uh, and negative. And all the people he surrounds with, with himself with are also um, part of that club. So one silver lining that I see and that I feel is that I've never seen people coming together the way they're coming together ever before. So I think maybe this needed to happen for a lot of people to wake up. I'm not sure. Time will tell. But I do feel that people are waking up and the, the fight is on its way, definitely. So my last question, who is Antonio Sanchez? I'm just a guy trying to be the best man I can, the best husband I can, the better musician I can, the best son I can. I don't have kids, but if I do, I'll try to be the best version of myself always. And and that, luckily, is uh, something that is unattainable. You can always search for it, but you're never quite there. So there's always room for improvement, and that's what keeps life interesting, I think. Well, sir, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're a great communicator. <laughs> I try. <laughs> Thanks. For more information on the Paul Leslie Hour, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thanks for listening. ba ba doodly beep ba Goodbye.